I was at the gas station on the way over here, and normally I probably would have been like, oh, this nice old guy, I'm a little uncomfortable, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, come any closer, motherfucker. <laughs> I was eating an apple and like filling my tank. And he's, uh, I'm just like, <laughs> you know, not paying attention to anyone around me. And he's like, talk about eating on the run. <laughs> you know, from around the other side of the fucking thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And he's like, that's a nice car you got there. I'm like, if you say one thing about my skin right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the current day protective lady language and I'm like, mm, tell that to my husband. <laughs> I'm taken and you'll only respect me if I'm taken by a man. Don't follow me home. There might be a man there. <laughs> okay, season one, episode three. The title is, Or Just Look Like One. Nothing is going to be as bad as last week's episode. So I think I blocked it out. It was that kid shit. Like, oh. <laughs> okay, so we open on an older woman coming off an ambulance um, outside of an ER. Yeah. Good old 90s joke right off the bat. I think I've got the AIDS again. And then the doctor who's seeming to be empathetic, but it's very clear this woman has, what is that called? A hypochondriac. Oh, yeah. Because then the, then the doctor's like, how's the Ebola? And she's like, the pills you gave me cleared that right up. So that's, they're having a whole moment. This is really just like a distraction intro. SVU does this a lot because all of a sudden uh, an SUV comes up and dumps a woman outside of the ER and speeds away. Mm -hmm. Cut to Stabler and Benson walking into the ER room. The woman's name is Teresa Burgess and there was a headshot in her backpack. She's a model. Well, you wouldn't know it by looking at her because that was a line from the show. That's not me. It was going to say damn, like, dude. <laughs> a total piece of trash. No, that's a dialogue. She looked really rough. Like she was super injured in a coma at this point. Then the doctor comes in and tells them all these gory details about her injuries and guesses that she was beaten with a claw hammer. I counted over 30 separate rooms before I stopped counting. Mm. Aren't they supposed to record that? Like keep counting. You're recording that. Like I picture like a blank outline of a person's body and it's like, oh, here's one. Mm -hmm. And that, or you're like telling your assistant to like mark that You're stuff. like tallying. She's like, oh man, it just... It was really, it was, it got really old after about 30 brutal injuries. So <laughs> let's keep it professional. So then they found she had an amphetamine OD and she was raped with a wooden object. Yeah, she had injuries to her face, breasts, and genitals. And they had found like splinters or something, right? Yeah. Oof. Can you even? I can't even. What? Just, there's so many episodes that someone was like raped with a thing. Uh-huh. And it's just, uh, I can't. Right. It's fucked. It's super fucked. Okay. Okay. Anyway, first 30 seconds, <laughs> opening credits, Chris Maloney. And then we go right to the opening scene, which at this point, third episode in, we realize is always like a fast pan around the precinct mm -hmm. and of them like Do phones ringing, quickly yeah. talking, people walking, passing papers around. Gives you a real feel for the <laughs> vibe of the precinct. And so they're talking about this girl, Teresa. She's a model. She's 16 years old. She's in a car. Her amphetamines were a prescription. And Jeffries speculates that the attacker knew the Vic. Munch gets annoying immediately. Yeah. And he says, sure, give us his name and address and we'll all go home early. And she eye rolls him completely out of her life. Just keeps talking. <laughs> and we uh, wish out of the show. Oh, my God. And she, her, her thoughts on this are because of the type of injuries uh, and the choice to drop her at the ER are classic signs of remorse and familiarity. Mm. I can't believe I pronounced that word right. Mm -hmm. You did good. Thank you. And it could be one-way familiarity, like... Halfway done with that drink already. Because I've had a rough week. <laughs> so saying it could be one-way familiarity, and Munch is like, oh, yeah, I saw her on a billboard for conditioning rinse, which is, like, pre-2000s conditioning rinse. Do you remember that? Yeah, but I don't... Is that a thing? Is that... That's like a, a douche? No. <laughs> or... No, I don't know what you're saying. Hair. That's what I thought. It's what I they used. Like... To, they used to call conditioner. My mom used to call. She still calls it that. Cream rinse. Mm -mm. I always thought it was the grossest name for something, but my mom called it cream rinse. And I've always called it conditioner. No one's ever. I, I've literally never heard that. I've called it conditioner since I knew it could possibly have another name, just like out of protest because I thought it was such a gross thing to call it. But he's like, oh yeah, conditioning rinse, which just it triggered a childhood thing for me, I guess. I must have thought that when people said conditioning rinse or cream rinse that it was a complete different thing. Uh, so her last known whereabouts were at a photo shoot, 12 other people equals witnesses, um, and her mother lives upstate, her father lives in Queens. And Craig voiced a concern about a 16-year-old being in New York after 3 a.m. Because mm -hmm. um, that's when, like, all this was going down. So Benson and Stabler go off to the hospital to talk to Vic's dad. Munch and Cassidy are going to go take statements from models at the shot that were at the photo shoot with Teresa, which, of course, is going to result in some ugh, cute commentary. Mm -hmm. And Jeffries has court. 
with the quote-unquote comic book guy. They're always like busting people off at the end of this scene, and somebody always seems to be going to testify at the Supreme Court. Every episode they've done this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they do it, they still do it, right? Or is it always pertain to what's going on? I don't know. I mean, it ties in. Like, sometimes it'll tie into, like, the next episode or mm. to, like, something that's happening later on or something that's happening with one of the developing characters. It's all very finely threaded. Mm-hmm. So then, so Jeffries is like, oh, I've, you know, I've got the comic book guy thing. And Munch is like, oh, Jeffries versus Rape Man. That's equal to Godzilla versus Megalon. Megalon? Megalodon? Megalodon, I think. Which is a movie from... Ni- I looked, I Googled it. Because <laughs> I'm like... Fuck you, Munch. I'm Googling this shit. I Google so much don't, of what he says. Don't let him make you do more work. I hate Google everything he says. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a movie from 1973. Timely joke, you fucking idiot. Like 1973, not even in like when they're doing this. It's 1999. Mm-hmm. Bring it up to date. And also that movie had a 38% of Rotten Tomatoes. So Jeffries wants to murder him and then everybody disperses. Okay, so they're at the Roosevelt Hospital. Hospital. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Part you don't get to see is that you're like twiddling your fingers as just <laughs> hostable. Okay. They're at the cliff hostable. <laughs> Hold on. They're at the Roosevelt Hospital. The dad's there and he's obviously upset. They inform him that they don't know who the suspects are yet, and the dad calls her Jasmine, not Teresa. That's when we find out that they had changed her name for like a trademark. Mm-hmm. The dad comes off to me as like super douchey. Yeah. And you can kind of tell he's like more concerned about her brand her brand yeah yeah which wasn't a term then and is like a super term now yeah what's your brand yeah i'm asking oh um i guess i always use this little like traditional lady archer mm-hmm. i kind of put it on everything oh i'm just thinking about like the way in like the way in which you present everything in your life like i'm constantly fighting against hashtag mom life but i can't help but be that Oh, I don't know. What is it? I never. I guess I haven't thought about it. I don't know. Give it some thought because it's really important. Jean, cut off <laughs> jean jackets, <laughs> black t-shirts. That for sure is my brand. Then yeah, I'd say, but not on purpose. Just I don't sometimes know. it's not intentional. Sometimes it just comes to you. I don't know. Holy shit, my whole life. Is... I don't know anything about marketing, so don't listen to me we at need all. To, we need to have a part two of this because. <laughs> anyways, so. So the dad dropped. Should we just start calling her Jasmine or saying Vic? I called her Teresa all the way through. Out of respect for her mom. <laughs> but yeah, I called her Teresa all the way through, but then I would like parentheses Jasmine, but I, I just called her Teresa. Yeah. Okay. He informed them that he had dropped Teresa off at the shoot around 6 p.m. Her agent is Nina Laszlo. We yeah. cut to the Laszlo agency. So they find Nina Laszlo. Who is that one lady? I can't remember her name, but I love uh, her. Queen of 90s pop TV, Lilith from Cheers. B.B. Oh. Newworth. Yeah. Um, okay, so she um, they, she claims that she doesn't know that Teresa was using amphetamines. Yeah, right. And they asked who was in charge of the shoot. Were there, cause there, were there any adults there? Cause all well, these not girls only that, have... but this is like day two, and she's like, everyone loved her. And they're like, uh, the past tense is a bit premature. Yeah. Like, that is the biggest red flag when investigating, again, professional over here, when investigating <laughs> a homicide. They're, right now they're investigating a, a sexual assault because she's in the hospital. Yeah. She's like, oh, she sure was, was, dot, dot, dot. Do you think that she was saying that because she like knew her career was going to be over because she was like beat up in the face and stuff? Or oh, that she, could be another, yeah. Yeah, because you know how fickle, like, mm-hmm. you know. I do know how fickle the modeling world is. <laughs> it was do. a hard road for you. Oh. Yeah, there was no, no one, there was no one in charge with, of a bunch of underage models. So they're like, Benson and Stabler are like, what the fuck is this? And she was like, well, I stopped by and everything seemed fine. And I kind of left the photographer, I guess, was in charge. Carlos Parisi. Is it Carlo or Carlos? Carlos Carlo. Parisi. Oh, oh the Carlo, S's. no S. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know, I, I went back and forth. With I was too. like, oh, the S is silent. But I realized, like, I just wrote that that way. <laughs> it wasn't on the screen. <laughs> like, oh, the S is silent. They did it on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and that's, this, this is great. Because Stabler goes, she was just kind of like a little spacey. And they're like, oh, are we boring you? And she's like... <laughs> And she's like, a little yes. And I was <laughs> I like, yeah. She's like, this. there's a ton of shit going on all the time. Like, I don't have time for this, you know? No. That's a bitch who knows her business. Yeah. She's like, move along, Stabes. And I'm like, if it didn't involve a clinging to life 16-year-old, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> right, yeah. And here I am like, <gasps> no matter what. <laughs> oh, that poor little teen. Where is her mother? 
Olivia asks what kind of car she drives. She says a white Acura. So they're like, okay, well. Yeah, because it was a dark SUV that dropped her off. So they're just like checking boxes. I love how often they'll just like ask, like, what kind of car you drive? And which is like really important to the case. And they're like, and a white Acura. And they're like, well, not you. And they're like, (laughs) off to the next person. This cuts to the photo shoot with Carlo Parisi at the docks. Um, He doesn't really remember much about what the kids were doing. Because they were asking him, like, about the drugs Wait, stuff. they get there. And it's just a bunch of models dressed in sailor suits and white sacks. <laughs> and everybody's, like, 38 pounds. This is the late 90s, as late 90s as it gets. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And he's sassy. He makes some dumb Juliana drug war joke. Remember? Oh, yeah. I got a whole thing about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Giuliani, he, I'm sorry. He goes, Giuliani. this is Giuliani, New York. I thought you guys won the drug war, eh? Yeah. So Rudy Giuliani was a two-term Republican mayor of New York who famously, quote-unquote, cleaned up the streets of the city. Giuliani is famous for his hard crackdown on minor offenses. This came up in the beginning of, like, Trump shit, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stop-and-frisk policy was super problematic in its focus on people of color. So I went down a K-hole of charts and findings uh, that it's complete bullshit. There's no correlation in the drop of crime rates. It was ineffective and unconstitutional, which answered a lot of, like, great nagging, like, ir- irritated questions questions for me okay for some reason all i have left is boring and i hate him and his dumb earring <laughs> okay so oh and then they're at the photo shoot and olivia sees an ex-model named deborah she's wearing sunglasses and she Obvious. recognizes her from um a case she testified in where a man named ricky blaine would pose as a modeling scout and tell little girls he needed their measurements and then force himself on them and she informs uh, and he would he would like beat them and blah 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 and so she was a victim of that and he had like beat her really badly and like ruined ruined quote unquote like ruined her modeling career right right now would, like, she's fucked her up yeah right now it's strictly like verbalized that she's yeah. saying that this happened she's but like yeah. oh I remember you from that case where yeah and they're... she's like oh you have a good memory yeah I testified in that and Stabler's yeah. over there like dadding really hard going where are the parents where are the managers. <laughs> She informs Olivia that he's out of jail, and obviously they must assume he's a suspect because it sounds like his MO. They he also his nickname for this was called the Measuring Man. Mm-hmm. So he I guess he would just like run around and be a creep. Yeah, I'm sorry, a race a rapist. Yeah, we'll see. Racist. He's probably that too. He the guy was a real piece of work. Yeah. So yeah. So then they go to the body shop where he works because they want to vet this guy for this uh, situation. They're like, oh, Ricky Blaine, measuring man, whatever. And he's like, call my PO. I haven't touched a piece of tape in years. (laughs) Terrible accent that I'm doing, but I don't feel bad about it because you're doing his terrible. His dialogue is 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 just (laughs) the worst. Oh, see, creep is fine. In my notes, I was like, he did a he did great at sounding like a total creepo. Yeah. So then Olivia had checked in with his PO. She was like, oh, you were half an hour for check or half an hour late for check in on Monday. He's like, oh, Monday night, um, I was wa- I was watching a football. And so then she's asking questions like, oh, who was playing? He didn't, you know, he got the teams wrong or whatever. She's like, no, Steelers and blah, 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 whatever. Right, right. Steelers and other sports. I, I took note of like his, as an actor, like when you get shit, you're like, I just have to remember that this is for SVU because some of the shit that I have to say, wait, this is important for my career. What do you mean as an, like, as you and as, no, <laughs> like as an actor, I can. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, like him, like he's his uh, his agents. Like here, here's the I don't know how it fucking works, but like here's the here's your shit, here's the sites, here's your call time, and he's like, cool, okay. So now I've got to learn how to say this really creepy Monday night, right? This is about that creamy, complicit little sweetie that got attacked. Yeah, you. I, <laughs> I saw it in Women's Wear Daily. Her Kmart underwear ads were primo monkey spank fuel. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and it's like you had to say that with a straight face and be like, "Mom, I got a roll." <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> uh, so he starts verbally measuring Benson, and she physically drops him with a stabler assist. Well, he fucking like reached his hand out to touch her face, mm-hmm. and then she was like, "Yeah, break his wrist." Yeah, she like did a whole like kick to the fucking groin. Stabler was like karate chopped in and throwing yeah. his ass all over the place. Yeah, mm. for me <laughs> and only me. <laughs> So back at the precinct, Benson and Stabler are talking to Munch and Cassidy, and they're just getting <laughs> info. What? My notes. Precinct. Munch's stupid ass tells them the info he got from interviewing models. <laughs> um. So they're, you know, getting all the info from them, questioning the models, and they said that Teresa failed to weigh in at the photo shoot, and she was sent home. So she never even stayed for the photo shoot. And then they gave them her stats. <laughs> 
five seven, 110 pounds. He told her to lose eight pounds. The photographer told her to lose eight pounds. Mm. So again, Crazy. yeah, this is this is like late nineties modeling slash modeling now. I'm sure like eating half an almond and like passing out. Like mm -hmm. it just it sounds so awful. So then she had to go into the office with Parisi. She came out crying. He kicked her off the set. And all the models were like, drugs? I don't know what you're talking about. So they're like, oh, yeah. So that means they're all using drugs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then the models gave them another lead and said she left with her friend Vanessa Wong. Mm -hmm. So they're still looking for Vanessa Wong. Then they have to, like, get into her personal shit real quick. Because Stapler's like, girlfriend how? Munch. Awful. Well, they're not KD Lang fans, if that's what you mean. Right. If that's a question, the only lesbian known to man in 1999 was KD Lang. Yeah. Pioneer for LGBTQ people. I love her version of Hallelujah. And then she just recently sang it at the 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 china olympics it was fucking katie lang i was like is she getting yeah is she getting attention for her talent and not just being a fucking lesbian like she that's fucking, all they did she rips dude yeah katie lang fucking rips i'm gonna get, get it i'm gonna make a patch <laughs> Um, so then they, they get an address for vanessa wong and then this is just a really quick scene benson and stabler are going to the apartment of vanessa wong because they want to question her about her whereabouts with Teresa. Mm -hmm. but then boop over briscoe and green are already there for a murder investigation because vanessa wong is dead briscoe and green are partners from law and order regular is it just called law and order i think it's law and order regular <laughs> i have never seen an episode of law and order regular i literally only watched svu yeah so i knew that they looked familiar and that they were probably from one of the you can law tell they orders. have like super cute banter yeah between the two like they have a really great chemistry that i like yeah not enough to like fully dive into law and order again i have too much to watch yeah so then they they reconfirm they're like oh yeah she was killed with a claw hammer early morning yeah vanessa wong so like okay okay so now they're at stabler's house and they're eating breakfast all of them the whole family stabler takes his work home with him all the time his daughter's sick like 16 15 16 and he noticed that she wasn't like eating and so he starts grilling his daughter about how she's eating too little there's this discussion between him and cat Kathy, almost a fight but it wasn't they have a good relationship mm -hmm. he like he like puts a bunch of bacon on the daughter's thing and, and she's like ah oh, trans fats dad okay so they're at the precinct and they're trying to figure out the timeline of where Teresa was and when and they had a phone recording oh wait first what little jimmy from the last couple episodes that was like oh there was a guy fucking touching a dead body we find out and i don't know if this means anything to svu but this kid that i'm just like oh yeah this little jimmy guy he is the nephew of lenny briscoe because he calls him uncle lenny yeah. and briscoe's like cool it with that at the precinct you know and he's like what should i call you and he's like briscoe Whatever. he's just like briscoe. Oh, yeah, briscoe. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 he's like what do you call me and he's like uh briscoe yeah wait that kid is the one that's been like hey guys yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's like hey everybody come check it out there's somebody found a little dead body on the subway they're like jimmy <laughs> there's a laugh track <laughs> that's terrible um i didn't realize that seinfeld that... music <laughs> <laughs> oh do you remember that this is completely not related but remember <laughs> breakable gimme schmidt yeah <laughs> Where she's like, it's 1972, and my Roland, my husband, a heroin needle fell off and hit his base on the way down. <laughs> 20 years later, it's the Seinfeld, the Seinfeld theme song, Didn't Get a Dime. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> oh, keep going. All right. Okay, yeah, so they're trying to get this timeline. I also didn't know that about that Jimmy thing. I didn't put that together at all. Mm -hmm. This is why it takes me 14 hours to take notes for one episode. You're like, who's that? <laughs> well, I'll be dipped. They find her phone records, and within a half hour, from 1234 to 102, she had called an apartment on the Upper East Side four times, owned by Hampton Trill. Cragen sends Munch to go talk to him. Munch went on a spiel about the kid, doesn't like him much. Cragen sends Stabler and Benson to talk to Teresa's mom. They are back at the hospital. The mom is very upset. They ask what the victim had called, or what Teresa had called, because she called her mom. Mm -hmm. um and they asked what she had called about of the night of the murder she called her after she left the photo shoot crying because oh, she right. was like upset about the photographer the being a dick thing. yeah yeah it sort of seemed like the mom not sort of it really seemed like the mom was not into Teresa getting into modeling 
like the parents had split up two years earlier because of it. The dad got custody of Teresa because the mom was working two jobs and like didn't have a whole lot of time. She just seemed like super full of regret and heartbroken about her daughter and like also really resentful and mad about the dad yeah at the dad for pushing it like he was this really painted the full picture of like this guy's a full-on stage dad Mm -hmm. she was pissed when they referred to her as jasmine she's like her name is Teresa. her her christian name (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah and she was like i worked two jobs and this guy just like leached off their daughter then gets full custody yeah and that's bullshit fully completely back to the storyline of jeffries going to the supreme court so jeffries is on the stand at the supreme court remember they were talking about Mm -hmm. like the rape man thing so she was being questioned for her role in prosecuting a father who she believes should be held responsible for his son who's sitting there and he's just this 13 year old little guy but he's been accused of raping someone they are trying to prosecute the dad as an accessory to rape because of the exposure that this 13-year-old kid had at home, the lawyers being just really lawyery about it and is like, oh, so it wasn't pornography. It was comic books. And then finally when Jeffries gets to talk, which is going to happen because she gets cross-examined, she's like, yeah, it was called Rape Man and the protagonist in like super heavy, bold quotes is a high school boy by day and settles scores with women as Rape Man by night. And that's the end of that scene. I don't know if it's like, hey, this is how fucked up the system is. Anyway, uh, they're at the the up apartment of hampton trill munch and cassidy and the only thing that could endear munch to me is a scene like this he dork lords out uh super hard over an even bigger dork lord (laughs) who is hampton trill an apparent author of terrible books as far Mm -hmm. as munch is concerned this is so funny because i use the word dork so many times there's both of them just fucking dorks (laughs) he's having a party for his novel dork stuff (laughs) (laughs) so he he tells them like throughout munch just like shitting on everything he does <laughs> munch gives him shit about his book like he knows shit about dick i hate him. <laughs> i hate him but i was on his side for this moment like yeah. i was just like yeah this guy is a chat she's like laying in a fucking lawn chair on his patio and it's like stand up these guys are wearing goddamn suits like stand up and talk to these guys in your goddamn bathrobe So he's telling them that Teresa was at the party for a short time and she was being a messy mess, but he was too. So there's not a whole lot to say. He's just like, yeah, she's at the party, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Cassidy asked if she was there to score drugs and he's like it was possible because the way we first met was on the elevator in this building um, she probably had an appointment with one of the doctors that take up the first two floors so there's like psychiatrists and whatever else in the lower part of this building that um, Hampton Trill lives in mm-hmm. I have here Munch goes on to fully own this guy's ego but not enough to make me take notes on his burns <laughs> Benson and Stabler are back at another Carlo Parisi photo shoot. Again, the models were so skinny Mm -hmm. uh, and all very white, like super white, super skinny people. And the sunglasses lady is back. What's her name? Deborah. I was going to call her Deb, but I was just like, that's not a Deb. (laughs) So um, Debs McGebs was there with her sunglasses on. Benson and Stabler are telling them that Vanessa Wong is dead. Um, And she was just kind of like aloof about it. And she's like, the girls were going to score at Hampton Trill's party. And Carlo's all like, wow, don't tell the family that. I don't want the family to know. So like he's saying, the reason I didn't tell you guys that they were going for drugs is because I didn't want the family to know Mm -hmm. that like Teresa was doing drugs back at the precinct munch and cassidy are going over all of their findings with benson and stabler just talking about how Teresa had prescription bennies yeah quote unquote there was um, a video of them in the elevator going yeah like there. going up to the going up to the party mm-hmm. and benson and stabler are now following that trail to find out where they're getting their prescriptions from mm-hmm. so they go over to professional licensing services and they find out that dr deke o'connor there's like one dude on a computer who's like boop 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 boop, boop. yep we've got thousands of prescriptions from mm-hmm. dr deke O'Connor and the computer says he's writing thousands of scripts for diet drugs including Fen Fen. Giving out speed like it's candy at Halloween. I took to Google and um, this is just like a blurb from lawyersandsettlements.com yeah. which tells you all you need to know about fucking Fen Fen. Fenfen roared onto the market in the 90s and was heralded as a miracle weight loss drug. Fenfen was a combination of fenfluramine and fentermine. Yeah, I said those right. 
designed to suppress the appetite while increasing the rate of calorie use. Um, Wait, so is this stuff still around? You're like, where can I get it? Oh my God. <laughs> well, the fucked up thing is I was reading about it and they're like, hey, by the way, there's shit with this in it now, mm. again. But millions of people used it before it was pulled from the market due to an increased risk of heart valve problems called primary pulmonary hypertension. This is what it was called at the time. It's called something else now. But based on an analysis by the FDA involving 291 patients screened by five doctors, up to 30% of the patients who used FenFen could have potentially developed heart valve damage, including excessive tightness or leakiness of the heart valve after using FenFen. Like, their heart valves are leaking. That sounds like a plumbing issue. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, within two years of FenFen being pulled from the market, more than 6,500 lawsuits on behalf of around 1,100, 11,000, excuse me, 11,000 plaintiffs were filed. Settlements involving thousands of people for billions of dollars were announced. Because primary pulmonary hypertension can take years to appear, some lawsuits were not filed until years after FenFen was pulled from the market. Drugs are generally allowed to stay on the market if the benefit of the drug outweighs the risk. The more serious the condition being treated, the more serious the side effects patients are willing to risk. Also, the FDA. The issue with diet drugs is that the immediate condition they treat is obesity, which in some patient, patients at least may be managed through diet and exercise, but diet and exercise do not help all patients. Furthermore, obesity has been linked to serious conditions, including heart problems, high blood pressure and diabetes. So it was a real like scale of what they should do. Mm -hmm. um, but now after almost two decades after FenFen was pulled from the market, new diet drugs are being approved by the FDA, including a drug that contains fentermine. Whether or not patients will be open to taking them may depend on how much they remember from FenFen and whether or not they believe the benefits outweigh the risks, which I think people when it comes to that kind of shit, people are like, 30%? That's not bad. I can still do whatever and take this shit and like requiem for a dream my way into like being kind of skinny. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, so he had been writing these prescriptions for both Teresa Burgess and Vanessa Wong and Stabler tracks down the doctor on his flip phone. And uh, so they go to find him and they're at the NYU hospital downtown. What is his name? Dr. Dr. Dean O'Connor. Dr. Deke. Dr. O'Connor is in a wheelchair neck brace looks comatose apparently he was they went to go see if he was maybe like prescribing these drugs to these girls but it, he was thrown off a motorcycle a few years ago who the fuck is it yeah because like, they're it? like we need to talk to this doctor and they're like what this is dr o'connor and he's super catatonic in a wheelchair neck yeah. braced like not comatose i'm not catatonic yeah you're yeah right. he's been here for two years and they're like well then shit he's not the one writing these prescriptions dealer's talking to what i think is the a precinct shrink they're kind of talking about diet culture. He's worried about his daughter and she kind of like knows it because he mm -hmm. didn't say his he's daughter. Just, but yeah, yeah, he's asking like questions that seem more personal yeah. than professional. Yeah, and she she explains how anorexia can be a way for someone to have control over their over this one thing in their Word. life. Yeah, their bodies and, and to wait and watch and not ignore. But she also says like forcing your daughter to eat would like make the feeling of control even stronger because you're saying like no. Right, like, you're exacerbating the action actual issue which yeah. is not getting food in the person yeah it is i mean like which, ultimately yeah which makes them feel even stronger more powerful like with their own control over. yeah so she's like don't ignore it but just wait and watch mm -hmm. you know so oh, they're at God. yeah they're at stabler's house his wife and the daughter are sitting at the table and the wife is like not letting her leave until she finishes her food and she won't stabler comes in and he's like whatever you're fine you look healthy and he's she's like kathy let's go to the italian place and kathy was like grabs her coat real quick and she was like dad daughter <laughs> whatever she's like you can't make me italian food and he's like you're not invited oh boom <laughs> and like totally burned her yeah and they got which Some is his pretty sweet garlic bread, I'm sure. Okay, so then we're at the postal medic. The suit dork is talking about how they sell like 6,000 prescriptions a day, and they're very proud of that. They ask him, they're like, well, how is Deke O'Connor handing out prescriptions left and right, but he's been comatose, or not comatose. Catatonic. Catatonic in a wheelchair for two years. And that douche rolls over real quick. It's it's such a, like, I, I keep going back like, to like, <laughs> how 90s is this? How 90s is this? How 90s is this? But he's like, technology, phones ringing, bleep, 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 we're on the, the cusp of fucking technology. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, but a corner store pharmacist would know that. And he's like, oh, man, oh. we're going to have to refresh our database. And he's just like, this is going to really flat. The writers are like, this is really going to throw them. This, all this technology talk. No. Fucking JavaScript. <laughs> the whole world's like mind is just reeling all the aisle. <laughs> We're, we're like at that's home. we're at home on our couches like 
the future is now. <laughs> We're all just like, I just watched The Net with Sandra Bullock. Not in my house. <laughs> that was a good movie. Sandra Bullock, or as my mom says, Sandra Bullock, is the reason <laughs> I didn't have internet until I was like 17 years old. Because oh god, until like 2000, like how old was until until like 2000? Everybody else were emailing and all that shit. And my mom's like, mm 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 mm, the government is coming after us. We're gonna pack up this basement and wait for Y2K. <laughs> you know how many empty milk jugs I filled with water and <laughs> put Y2K on them. <laughs> My, but my dad was kind of like, mm-hmm, yep. I'm like 2000. I'm a fucking senior in high school. I want to go out with my friends for New Year's. And my mom's like, I just figured we'd all sit in the basement with can openers and wait for the world to end together. Oh, yeah. So they want to get O'Connor's patient list. And the suit nerd gets a little, gets the lisp. And he's like, he But the asks, best the best part is he's like, oh, big business, big business. We're doing all this. And they're like, Dr. O'Connor. He's like, I know him. Like, <laughs> Okay. And then he's like, boo, big business, big business. And they're like, we need his file. And he like does a spin move and then has it in his hand. And we're like, like, come on. It's like like their only, their only client. He's like, oh my God, this is just gonna, we're going belly up. Okay. All right. They're back at the precinct. precinct. Benson Stabler. They're talking to Kragen. Kragen and his huge bowl of red vines (laughs) is super mad that they crash landed at the RX pill spot with the suit door guy. Apparently it's being watched by narcotics. They kind of like fucked up the whole Thing by just even going that's what he's saying because he's like oh it's a narco case and it's just this cross-pollination of precincts mm-hmm. benson and stabler argue it's like a separate investigation it's no biggie classic cop stuff for svu no you know benson and stabler asked for a few more days craig and helps by like slowing down some of the narco stuff and then they like do this whole bitching about narcotics and how they're like pencil pushing dorks and blah 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 yeah what how did they find out about the privacy first mail services like do, oh is he delivering for the o'connor Yes, because they were Even they got they got that information from Suit Dork because he was like, "Here's the information. This is where we send the thing." And they're like, "You're sending it to the same address. Isn't that weird? Like yeah. you sent like six thousand prescriptions to the same address." Yeah. So then they go right. to Privacy First Mail Services, which is a just a PO box place with a dude who gives zero fucks at a desk. <laughs> The guy that comes to get the stuff out of the P.O. box, they like yeah, they, they just like wait for the dude. Yeah, yeah, he has like no idea what's going on. Um, he's a courier. He gets paid a hundred dollars a week. He doesn't know anything. He took over for his buddy who did deliveries before him. He repackages the envelope and sends it to. He was really willing to just be like, "What do you need? What do you need? This is what I do." He's this like, is I have no idea what's going on. I just yeah. do this, you know. And he's like, he repackages the envelope and sends it. To I get paid a hundred dollars a week. Yeah, it seems like he's getting really fucked over on this. Yeah. Anyways, he repackages the envelope and sends it to Laswell's building. Oh, shit. Lilith! Lilith! Benson and Stabler go back to Kragen, and they're like, we think it's time to bring in narcotics. And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. This is getting toward the end of the episode, so this is when all their cop tactics start coming in. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we want to use them as intimidation. And Kragen's like, intimidation? You need to talk to Joey Poole. <laughs> and the way he said his name made him sound like the most New York guy ever. <laughs> so it's like... Then, like, they're just, like, door kick. They're at the office of Laszlo, and it's a giant bald guy with a gun and a mustache. And you're immediately like, ah, Joey Poole. Okay. Yeah. He looks like he's done some bodyguard work. And he, like, whistles. He's, like, classic, like, yeah. Listen up, people. (laughs) Right. Gun drawn already. And it's, like, you could just come in. But anyway, he he comes in, like, full-blown. Benson and Stabler are, like, oh, this fucking guy. You know, but but they're following him in there. Because it's an intimidation tactic. So he's yeah. like, we're here to cause a scene. Narcotics, blah, blah, blah. Benson and Stabler pull Laszlo up. Like, they're going to arrest her. They're like, you know, you can come out the back door with us. Come and answer some questions about this case with uh, Teresa and Vanessa and whatever. Or you can go out front with narcotics and answer to the press. a ton of press, yeah. They're really just calling her bluff. And she's like, fucking fine. I'll go to the interrogation room with you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about saving face. Yeah. So she's in there and she's answering questions and she's like, speed keeps the girls in in a fighting trim shape. She ends up turning on Carlo. They're like just like grilling her with questions. She's like, Carlo's got a private Polaroid collection and pretty much just insinuates that it's like fucked up. Him with models. Yeah. Him with models, Underage like sexual models. shit. Jasmine, she says, again, we're talking about Teresa when we say Jasmine. Jasmine said he made her Lewinsky him. I can't believe this brought this. Okay. 
for his well, that that's her tone too. They made a Lewinsky him for his collection and then refused to use her on the shoot. It's gonna always come back to that. But again, Lewinsky him is like so she like blew him or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he sent her off the shoot. So now she's pissed, Teresa. Yeah. And so she before she leaves, she fucking swipes. She swipes the Polaroids. She with the intention to blackmail him. Mm -hmm. And then Laszlo claims that she didn't know anything more until she found out that Teresa was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So then it goes to the precinct. Benson and Stabler are back at the precinct. Uh, Law and Order regular guys show up with the weapon. They had had some people dig in the dumpsters. They found this claw Briscoe hammer. Briscoe Briscoe. <laughs> Briscoe and fucking Other Green. Guy. So now Benson and Stabler are going to go pick up Carlo Parisi because now they have this, they have the murder weapon mm -hmm. and the assault weapon. Yep. So they go to the Parisi studio. They have a warrant. They're looking for, they're like doing a kitty porn search because they're like underage girls. So they're, tell they're telling him the MO, which he's pissed that Teresa took the Polaroids and he wants them back. And that he went and talked to the victim, to Teresa, and ended up killing her. That's what they're telling him. And he insists he doesn't, he didn't kill anybody. And they, they remind him that consent doesn't exist with minors and that he's going to be in some fucking shit. What I took notes on, yeah, I said Parisi said it was consensual, but Gabe is here to get a lady boner over Stabler going, na 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 na. You use your power to hire and fire to exact sexual favors and pornographic photos yeah. from a minor, not consensual. But I was like, tell him, Stabes. I was like, tonight I'm turning the lights down low. <laughs> but I, that was great, especially yeah. like a no, fucking white guy say that, even yeah. if it's written by somebody else. Like, thank you for that, Stabes. Mm -hmm. So then they arrest him. Oh, yeah. They arrest him. And then they also find out that Deborah, a.k.a. the sunglasses lady, mm -hmm. was his ex-fiance and still owned half of the business. Bum, bum, bum. Initially, they're, like, digging through his shit. They're digging through Parisi's shit in his office um, after he, like, gets hauled away. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler stay back to, like, look through his shit to try to find some evidence. Um, Olivia finds a bunch of stuff with Deborah Luttrell's signature, sunglasses lady. Mm-hmm. And Stabler, like, in, like, every episode, he's got to blow off something that Olivia says. So she's like, oh, my God, there's so many signatures by her. Like, what's the deal? Like, why is she? And he's like, okay, weird, not kitty porn. <laughs> so that, but, so Olivia's like, where does, where does he hide his dirty pics? Like, they're looking for his shit, his stash, his Polaroids. And Stabler's like, you've got three choices. Under the bed, the back of the closet, or among unappealing and boring papers. And Olivia goes, I take it that that's a guy thing. And I have experience with that because years ago, I'm living with my ex. I was on the computer, which was, it was his desktop computer. I go to the internet and what's the browser? The browser, the thing that you type shit in. Yep. Yep. I am a cusp millennial. I go to type something in, but I click, you know, right below the browser, you can like keep. It's called a browser history where the stuff pops up. No, it's not it. a pop up. No, it's not when you click on the browser. It's like, here's the oh, browser it's like a tab. bar. You can keep a, and yeah. then there's, yeah, there's tabs beneath, like, which is like Netflix, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So instead of clicking on the browser to do my little search. Did I say Yahoo? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I Well, instead of clicking on the browser to do my search, I accidentally clicked on a tab marked systems file that was immediately below the browser. And not only did it open, but it was just like, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> and it was just fucking every file that was on there popped open and it was just giant titty images. <laughs> Like, not even like, and I'm not shaming anybody's shit or anybody's kinks or anybody's anything, but there was one that I just could never get out of my head if I tried. It was a woman with her tits in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> so I don't remember if I texted my ex or I called him or whatever, but I was like, uh, dude, like, I, just, I found your stash. Um, you know, the one with the lady gardening. <laughs> And he's like, oh my God, why are you digging in my shit? And I'm like, I'm not. It was like, there was a button legit, like right under the thing. And he's like, oh my God, I can't believe, like that was hidden and it was a hidden file. And it was like this thing. He had spent time and consideration, again, not realizing that I don't give a shit, but he was like, he'd spent all this time considering like where he was going to put it. And he thought you had to like go to like the home screen and then go to like, open this one tab, which opened to another thing and then opened to another thing. But really he'd made the mistake of putting it directly under the browser browser bar. And so I'm just like wheelbarrow tits, huh? And he's like, that one's a joke. <laughs> and then you're like, so are you. <laughs> oh, you're not.
that wrong. But anyway, yeah, Stabler, that is a that is a guy thing. He'll always be a garbage cookie movie. <laughs> do you want to explain that one? No, I no, okay. we'll get there. No, okay. that, we'll, we'll get do there. a Christmas special or something. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So they're in the interrogation room now. Yeah, and they get they got Deborah there. Glasses McDeborah. She's being interrogated, and they tell her that they think she wants she went to the Trill apartment to get put the Polaroids back because it's going to ruin half of her business as well. Now that they know that they're oh yeah the yeah. party. She went to the party that they were at with yeah. the douchey author. Yeah, she's not cooperating. She's being like super snooty patoot about yeah. it. So they leave the room. Olivia convinces Munch to play quote unquote the prisoner's dilemma. Prisoner's dilemma is a paradox in decision analysis, which two individuals acting in their own self interest do not produce the optimal outcome. The tip typical prisoner's dilemma is set up in such a way that both parties choose to protect themselves at the expense of the other participant. As a result, both participants find themselves in a worse state than if they had cooperated with each other in the decision-making process. The prisoner's dilemma is one of the most well-known concepts in modern game theory. Yeah. So really, they're like... Basically, you're just getting each other to think that the other confessed. Yeah. So they're just going to get them to turn on each other. Yeah. So one of them tells Carlos that... Deborah rolled on him. They're in the back room. The precinct game is on. So they both um, like lose their shit on each other. Cause yeah. like you turned, you turned. Yeah. So they, I don't know why they do this a lot. They like walk people by each other a lot that shouldn't be around each other. For like, this very reason. Yeah. Or like, I mean, there's other episodes too, where they'll like walk the dad by a person in handcuffs that like murdered the guy's daughter. I'm like, they don't really do that in real life. They like try right. to separate people because enjoy, you yeah. know, <laughs> but this, this being like, we're going to book you cause he did this. And then walking her past him gets her mm-hmm. fired the fuck up. And then the way he responds makes her think that, Oh, he is talking, you know? Yeah. And then he thinks that she's talking and then it's a whole mm-hmm. thing. And, and she's so like, th- you know who he was when I met him fucking Carl Parsley. <laughs> and she like spit on him. They get her in that back room and she totally spit on Carlos tells like everything that's going on this past she takes off his her fucking sunglasses and the measuring man that she had testified against testified against before had disfigured her and ruined her career like her eye was uh, dead right it was like a yeah. fucked up eye yeah she had like all this like tissue damage around her eye it her just eye was, it like, was white like cloudy like yeah. she was probably blind she admits they she had seen the Vanessa and Vanessa Wong who they found dead she had seen her and Teresa at the party and was like trying to get her to, to uh, tell her about the pics that she stole Vanessa didn't believe that the Polaroids were true no not Vanessa I'm sorry not um Deborah didn't believe it yeah so she was like talk to the girls like can I please look at these pictures and they're in her SUV I always say SVU <laughs> I'm talking about the car so she's in the car and looks at the Polaroids she like said she didn't really remember anything after that she just like was so shocked she murdered two people fuck you yeah she just like got full of rage and yeah oh yeah, yeah she had a protection hammer that she kept under her, the yeah. front seat of her car which I fully a, I'm just like mm-hmm, yeah stabler shows through the clock I totally thought of you when that when yeah she had yeah and then and then she says she fails one way in and that little bit shreds the last bit of dignity I'd left fucking damn dude right oh yeah I had some shit in there about that like just about in the past like oh lots of photos lots of women women that I've known for years women that I trusted blaming women for the actions of men like these women were victimized underage these women were on drugs and we keep saying women and like some of these like Teresa was 16 years old yeah so like female on female crime in regards to a man and his bullshit actions yeah yeah I was cranked up on speed. Yeah, it was, she was livid. She was on speed and admits to hitting um, Teresa with the claw hammer. And then Carlos and was like, we got to make her look raped too. Yeah. So what, what? They fucking raped her. That's how why she had slivers and stuff yeah. in her. Because the they, they raped her with the handle of the claw hammer. Um, and then there was some really moody, um, like, wah, 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 guitar music <laughs> going on that whole time. <laughs> yeah, they both dropped off Teresa at ER and Carlos dealt, quote unquote, dealt with Vanessa. Carlo. Why do I keep saying Carlos? Yeah. And then Munch informs that the vic- the victim, Teresa, had died in the hospital. Yeah. That's it. Executive producer, Dick Woof. So I wanted to focus on the measuring man of it all regarding this episode. If you remember, he was the mechanic with all the creepy dialogue who pretended to be a modeling scout to lure women to assault them. And like fucked up that lady's face. Yeah. So unfortunately, this is not uncommon in the world of sex trafficking, assault of women, murder of women. Uh, One of the biggest being the Boston Strangler and one of the most recent being 
fucking trash monster, Jeffrey Epstein, who would at times pose as a Victoria's Secret model scout. I totally wanted to do Jeffrey Epstein, and I'm like, this is that is going to be a future okay. one. Also, there's already 9 million podcasts of just strictly about Jeffrey Epstein. I just listened to one, The Mysterious Mr. Epstein. Anybody that ever says anything about Jeffrey Epstein is going to be dead. John and I are obsessed with sending each other those... Uh, Epstein didn't. Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah. So John, it's almost like a back and forth between the two of us, like a battle who can do a better one. And the other morning he woke up and I'm like, hey, did you look at your phone? <laughs> It was a listing for a house. He's like, why are you sending me a listing for this house in like Pennsylvania or whatever? And all I said was, check out pick 13. And it was an empty room with a dry erase board, a tiny dry erase board on the wall. And you had to like screenshot it to zoom in. And it said Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. So anyway, I'm not going to tell you about any of that. I'm going to tell you. Great. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Novid Dadmond. Novid? I'm not sure. Novid Dad, Dadman? Da Dadmond. I know, it sounds like a made-up name, but it's, I think it's Italian, because he's from Italy. So, Novid Dadmond, Dadmond, <laughs> this sack of dicks, was born in Italy and raised in Richmond, British Columbia, Canada. Okay. He was a 2002 high school graduate and received his criminology degree at Simon Fraser University in 2010. Hmm. The first known attack, let's just get into it. Yeah. The first known attack he committed began March 2012 as he was in school working toward an education degree. Gross. Mm -hmm. He contacted a 19-year-old university student and aspiring model through Facebook and told her she looked a lot like a woman who had done a guest shoot for him. He told her he was an, an Italian model scout looking for girls abroad, and she told him that she thought she was too short to be a model, but when he told her that personality and drive were more important than height, she was really excited. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like... I feel like that's probably not true, but... Yeah. Well, could, I, mean, I, think, be... I think more now because there's, so there's starting to become more diversity in the model world, yeah. you know? Maybe he schmoozed her a little bit. He convinced her to do an audition. When he picked her up, he said the studio wasn't available, so they'd have to go to his house. He picked her up? Yeah. It wasn't at her house. It was at some train station. But, I mean, he was every... All the girls that said that they had contact with him said that he was really slick and he was well-dressed and well-groomed and whatever. He presented... Like, he put on this whole fucking show before... Yeah. When he picked her up and said the studio wasn't available, they were going to have to go to his house, to his apartment or whatever, to his creepy little... Who knows? To put her at ease, he told her he was gay, so she was just sort of like okay you know i mean he's telling her everything that he thinks she wants to hear to be to not freak out yeah so he can get her like calmly to his apartment right he told her that in this type of audition she'd have to remove her clothes she was nervous and later testified that he was angry at any indication or request that he not touch her private areas mm -hmm. which to me is her whole fucking body yeah right during the course of the quote-unquote audition he was touching her and and it got to a point where it would be considered assault yep. but there weren't details there were no names of these women they were all really young and stuff so they were all like numbered and lettered a second vi victim testified that she was contacted online by a man claiming that he was a model and that she should meet his agent so he sent her photos of himself when i say himself that's in heavy quotes because it was like this muscly tattooed guy so he was straight up catfishing because later his agent called her mm -hmm. and it was yeah dad man mm -hmm. she was very rightfully doubtful of the whole thing and decided not to meet with him mm -hmm. but here's a twist what on april 30th 2010 she reached out to him after being taken to saint paul's hospital for ingesting cocaine and a shitload of alcohol she contacted him? she needed a ride yes she called him for a ride home she Even clearly she'd never met him correct Whoa. She clearly had nobody to call. Somebody who's isolated, somebody who doesn't have anyone in their life. So she didn't have anybody to call. Calls him for a ride home. And he picked her up and took her back to his apartment and gave her more alcohol and said, oh, I just want to sit down together and have a drink and talk about um, having you sign a modeling contract. He just picked her up from the hospital mm -hmm. because she was too coked up and full of booze. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know what? I want to do business with you. Yeah. She woke up the next day naked in his bed. She claims to not remember any of it. And she also reported that she had not consented to photos or video or anything being taken before. Why did she have to testify that she did not consent to those things? Because she and another victim were found on videos later obtained by the police of them visibly unconscious and him having sex with them. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. So he needed to get video of it too. 
what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Dadman's lawyers said at the trial that several complainants understood the nature of the sexual activities as being part of the audition, which included the possibility of pornographic work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. Dadman's lawyers, his lawyers, the defense attorneys, said at the trial that several complainants understood the nature of the sexual activities as being part of the audition, which included the possibility of pornographic work. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. First, no. Mm -hmm. Second, I want to hit that phrase, part of the auditions. He was posing as an agent. He was just some dude working in retail. Yeah. He wasn't a fuck. It wasn't an audition. You, like, wait. His lawyers are like, hold on. These ladies understood. Part of this audition. Audition for fucking what? <laughs> They're, yeah. Let's get back. I mean, what they were trying to prove, I'm kind of fucking around, but what they were trying to prove was that, it was it immoral? Yes. Was it illegal? No. It was fucking illegal, yes, because nobody, like, and then the cops were like, oh, by the way, we have video footage that he took of him of raping them. Him raping women that were completely unconscious. Yeah. The Canadian Encyclopedia says, I wanted to throw this just because I didn't understand what this was. This is about the crown. In a monarchy, the crown is an abstract concept or symbol that represents the state and its government. In Canada, a constitutional monarchy, the crown is the source of nonpartisan sovereign authority to an integral part of the legislative. It's the it's the government. Yeah. Okay. The crown was so everything I read was like the crown was saying this and the crown was saying that. So I ended up just having to Google it because I'm like I'm pretty sure I know what the the crown is indicating. But the crown was looking to declare Dadmond a dangerous offender and give him an indeterminate sentence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything I found when looking for his sentence said things like indeterminate and indefinite. And in Canada, an inmate classified as a dangerous offender can be given an indefinite prison sentence. That means that the offender is at risk for causing a serious personal injury. They can just put you in prison. Like, you know how you, when you get sentenced and stuff, everything I found was like, yeah, he was given an, an indefinite sentence. So he could so, be in there for like 20 years or three days. I don't know. But um, they argued that because of the his lack of self-control and nature of his crimes, he posed a safety threat. And the Crown also argued that his behavior was like irreversible because of his personality disorders and psychopathic traits like he showed no remorse and things like that mm -hmm. uh in court he was processed through all of these psychiatrists and psychologists and people that you know they have to determine the shit when they're going to give this kind of a sentence so when sentenced as a dangerous offender the defendant is placed on an indefinite sentence where the accused may apply for parole after seven years every two years thereafter but there's no end of their sentence in this situation. Mm. So then his lawyers, which are trash people, I, I shouldn't say that. I can't imagine having to be a defense attorney. Mm -hmm. Like the kind of shit that they were defending before with the, with the you know, these girls understood. Yeah. With, with this agency. Like, and do you think that when they're saying that shit, they're like, oh my God, like, I'm, this I know. sucks. But his lawyers argued that as a long-term offender, the suitable sentence would be six years followed by a three-year supervision order. And there was so much argument through the state side. The, what would it be called? The prosecution. The prosecution, yeah. Mm -hmm. That it was very highly, highly unlikely that any kind of therapy or anything could turn his behavior around and he would be always be considered dangerous mm -hmm. based on the way his mind is made and everything. So he's in prison now. Cool. All right, that's it. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Hey, pod pals. Sorry, that was dumb. Follow us on Instagram at svupod for SVU content and updates. Email us with questions, stories, or whatever, and when me and Tasha can actually hang out again, we'll be reading them on the podcast. The email again is svupod at gmail.com. You can subscribe, rate us, review us, and tell your buds. Thanks. Ugh, Tasha, I suck at this shit. I need you here.